Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of The Why Behind the What, where the what can start a conversation, but the why can open up one's soul. My name is Nathan Albert, and as always, I am so glad you are listening in today. I really appreciate it. Friends, I have some incredibly exciting news. Are you ready for this? After years of writing, lots of editing, a brand new publisher, my book, Embracing Love, My Journey to Hugging a Man in His Underwear, is here. That's right. Right here. Check it out. That's it right there. I am holding it up for you to see or you to hear, but it's here. It's here. Embracing Love, My Journey to Hugging a Man in His Underwear. You can get a paperback version of that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, the Covenant Bookstore, handful of other uh, online retailers. If you prefer the ebook version, we got that too. It's available for the Kindle, the Nook, uh, iBooks, Google Play. So check it out. I am so, so thankful and uh, so excited that this is here. I'm thankful to uh, everyone we had who supported the book on our Indiegogo campaign. They already got their advanced copy of the book, so I uh, hope you guys are enjoying it. Lots of people have endorsed my book, and some are putting up reviews on Amazon, so thank you to those who have done that. That is a huge, huge help. My editors, Christina and Allison, they literally took my words and turned them into a readable book. They rock. And my new publisher, Read the Spirit Books, they are amazing. So professional. Uh, They literally and literarily saved me, and I'm so thankful for them. So go get a copy. Buy one for yourself. Buy one for a friend. Uh, If you can, just take two minutes, review it online on Amazon, uh, post a picture of yourself on social media with it. That'd be awesome. And then pass it on to a friend when you're done. Uh, The more, the merrier. As I mentioned last time, I'm going to give away a a copy of my book. Uh, I'm going to sign it and send it to a winner. So here's what you have to do to enter. If uh, you want to be in the drawing to get an autographed copy of my book. All you have to do is share this podcast on social media. Uh, Make sure you tag me in that post and uh, write a review on iTunes. If you do those things, I'll put your name in a drawing. Uh, I'll pick out a name at random and then hopefully on the next episode, I will announce your name. You will be so excited. You will jump up and down with joy and then I will mail you an autographed copy. Now, in the coming weeks, this is what I want to do over the next few weeks of this podcast. Uh, I want to dig a little bit into my book as well as continue to interview some individuals about the why behind the what. So this week, I want to talk about, well, the why, uh, the why I I wrote this book uh, and why I think it's so important specifically for religious communities to listen and learn from the broader LGBT community uh, as well as um, the importance of creating spaces where anyone can belong. Uh, And then in the coming weeks, uh, I'm going to interview a handful of friends on why relationships and why dialogue between these two communities are so important. And then uh, I think I'll do another episode of uh, speaking about why I believe unity and rehumanization is such a strong and big step forward uh, for all of us in these religious communities. So that's the plan. Uh, I initially wanted to do uh, one episode a week, but who am I kidding? Uh, That was a a little too high of a goal for me. So I'm just going to stick to the normal routine. Every uh, two weeks, we'll have hopefully a new episode out for you. So uh, here we go. A quick word before we get too far into the podcast. Um, There are a handful of books being published right now by white, uh, cisgender, heterosexual men. 
on the subject of faith and the LGBT community. Obviously, I am one of those individuals. And I could list a dozen, probably, that have published uh, similar works since I started writing my own book. Now, some of these are colleagues and friends. Uh, Some are progressive individuals, and they are fighting for LGBTQ equality. Others are traditional in their beliefs, and they're seeking to kind of give a different framework uh, or a different way to uh, discuss this topic. Uh, Some of these books are very helpful, and others are not. Uh, And some, uh, there's been some pushback on some of these books, especially through a handful of my colleagues and friends uh, within the LGBT community. Uh, And basically, they are getting tired of heterosexual men speaking for the LGBT community and about the LGBT community. Uh, And questions are being asked, well, why aren't there as many books published by LGBTQ individuals? And why aren't heterosexuals listening and reading such books? We saw this a lot when I was on staff with the Marin Foundation. Uh, We saw this system that was at work among religious communities that would listen uh, to heterosexual individuals, and and they would listen to controversial topics or uh, debates on uh, what the Bible says about sexuality or um, history of the LGBT community. Uh, but they wouldn't listen to LGBTQ people. And so a gay individual, for example, could say the exact same words that I could be saying, but they were not heard by those people in the religious communities. So this is a flawed and broken reality, and uh, I want to name that. I also want to name that I am not an expert on the LGBT community, and I don't speak for them, uh, and I am doing my best not to speak about them without them. So I'm trying my best not to speak about them without them. And so for years, my goal has been to listen and to learn and to talk with the LGBT community. And what I want to encourage you is to do the exact same. So if my book, uh, if you know the viral blog post, if you know kind of the premise of the book, uh, if it's a starting point for you to educate yourself about the LGBT community or faith communities or kind of the biblical interpretations uh, on sexuality, specifically homosexuality, that is great. But let me encourage you, do not stop there. My book is simply my story. It's my story of how I learned from my many friends who happen to be a part of the LGBT community. Uh, My story of digging deep into scripture and learning what scholars have said and and my journey and my story uh, of how I pastor uh, individuals. But I strongly, strongly encourage you to listen to individuals within the LGBT community educate yourself, follow them on social media, read their books, uh, learn from their blogs, and let them influence your own story. Here's some individuals that I listen to, uh, that I follow on social media, that I've learned from. You can Google them. Uh, Many of them have books out, but here they are. Uh, I've learned a lot from Allison Robinson, Dale Martin, Gene Robinson, Brandon Robertson, Broderick Greer, uh, Eliel Cruz, Matthias Roberts, Julie Rogers, Candace Zubernot, Justin Lee, Wesley Hill, Jeff Chu, Mel White, Matthew Vines, Andrew Sullivan, Trey Hall, Darren Calhoun, Emmy Kegler, uh, Eve Tushnet, and there's a handful more. Uh, there's some organizations as well that I would recommend to you that you would check out. They also have resources. Believe Out Loud, Gay Christian Network, The Reformation Project, The Trevor Project, GLAD, or Soul Force. Those are all, um, I recommend all those to you as you continue to travel down this road. Now, a little bit about my book. The book is a combination 
of a viral blog post I wrote, my seminary thesis, which is on sexuality and the church, specifically the Evangelical Covenant Church and that denomination, and then my own experience as a musical theater uh, actor turned pastor who's been immersed in the LGBTQ community and my time pastoring within the LGBT community and my time uh, pastoring individuals and parents and families. Now, um, years ago, I was on staff with the Marin Foundation. Now, the Marin Foundation uh, seeks to build bridges between the broader LGBTQ community and the church community. And they do this through a few ways, uh, scientific research, biblical and social education, and diverse community gatherings. If you want to learn more about them, uh, themarinfoundation.org, and you can learn about what they're doing. My role there was the director of pastoral care and counseling. And so much of my time was spent pastoring uh, parents of LGBTQ youth. Uh, you know, their kids came out and they called us and talked to me about, uh, and I kind of pastored them through, what do you do? What should you say? What shouldn't you say? Uh, a lot of my time was working with churches and pastors uh, and dealing with um, conflict in their church or um, how they can go about um, members membership in their church or how do they deal with a certain situation uh, specifically about sexuality. And then a lot of my time was spent pastoring LGBTQ Christians, um, some of whom were coming out or telling their parents or uh, struggling with their faith. And so I was did my best to pastor them as well. Now, a handful of us from the Marin Foundation, a group of friends, we went to the Gay Pride Parade in Chicago every year. And in 2010, we decided um, to, to attend the parade. And we had this idea uh, to be an alternative Christian voice at the, at, the parade, at the parade. Now, every year at the Chicago Gay Pride Parade, and this happens at many pride parades throughout the country, there is a group of protesters at the end of the route. Now, they're, they're at the very end, kind of where the where the parade ends and dismerse, disperses, um, and they have these signs and bullhorns, and they're standing up on high ladders, and they're spending literally hours shouting and screaming hate uh, and incredibly hateful, hurtful, and dehumanizing things. And I'm sure you know the type. Um, they make the news, and uh, they those images and those words often stick in our minds. And so a handful of us decided to be an alternative Christian voice. So we made some t-shirts, black t-shirts. I don't know why we decided on black t-shirts when it was like 95 degrees in the, you know, June in Chicago. Uh, and we had I'm sorry written on them. And then we made signs uh, that we held up. And we post, uh, we had things that said uh, like, uh, I'm sorry for the way that Christians have treated you. I'm sorry uh, that you've been shunned within our churches. One of my favorites is, I used to be a Bible-banging homophobe. I'm sorry. And so we set up shop at the parade right in the middle, uh, right kind of in this, this uh, right halfway through the parade. We set up our signs and had our shirts and just enjoyed the parade. And then we didn't necessarily realize the impact this would have. Uh, this was simply just a personal thing that we wanted to do to apologize to our gay friends uh, for the hurt that they had been caused by um, other Christians and even ourselves. And so we simply wanted to do that. And it turned out to be international news. Um, I had written a blog post uh, after the Pride Parade about um, how we got a lot of hugs and my reaction and, and what it was like to be there. Um, and it was called, I Hugged a Man in His Underwear. You can Google that and read that, or you can buy my book and read it in my book. See what I did there? So I wrote this blog post. At the time, my blog had about 14 readers, myself, me, uh, I think I read it, my dad, my mom, and me, um, give or take a few more. Uh, but the blog went viral, and it was seen in uh, over 142 countries. 
Uh, it was um, picked up by numerous websites such as BBC World News, Huffington Post, Sydney Herald, GLAAD. There's a famous image that goes along with it, which is on the cover of my book as well. That image was viewed 14 million times, uh, possibly 16 million times by now. Um, but it was on BuzzFeed's uh, 21 pictures that were Restore Your Faith in Humanity. It was voted the best image on Reddit at Imgur uh, in 2010 and 2012. And then the blog went viral a second time uh, in 2012. And it's that image and, and blog have, have circulated since then. Uh, it was promoted by pretty well-known individuals, Rachel Held Evans, Kristen Chenoweth, Lance Bass, um, Christina Applegate, Alyssa Milano, Elizabeth Banks. And since then, this I'm Sorry campaign that we started apologizing at gay, parade, gay pride parades has occurred in 22 uh, cities in six different countries. Now, while this was all happening, I was also uh, finishing up seminary, and I had decided to add on a thesis to my Master of Divinity. And so I was writing my thesis on uh, human sexuality and the Evangelical Covenant Church. It was called Belong, Believe, Become, Homosexuality and the Evangelical Covenant Church. And so I looked at all the documents that this denomination had on sexuality, uh, kind of critiqued them, uh, summarized them, and wrote what I would thought would be a better resource for the denomination. Uh, one of the things I did is I looked at the six main passages that are often talked about when it comes to homosexuality from both a traditional viewpoint and a progressive viewpoint and laid all that work out. I gave practical advice for pastors and churches and the Christian community on how I engaged the LGBT community and um, what I thought might work for the broader church community. And so then my book, Fast Forward, is a combination of those things. It's my journey as a Christian actor immersed in the LGBT community, a bit of my thesis on the biblical interpretations and what Christians can do to better care and love for the LGBT community, as well as an encouragement to repent and... Um, seek forgiveness for the pain that's been caused by the LG, uh, by Christians to the LGBT community. Since then, um, it's been a long journey to turn that into my book. My, my, my publisher, uh, my first editor gave me a really hard time when she first read through it. She, she said, you know, Nathan, you've got these great stories in here and I can tell you're a storyteller. And then a third of the book is like you as Mr. Scholar. And then this third part is you on your you know, standing on your soapbox, uh, slapping me across the face about how to do things better. And we had to tone that all down and bring one voice. So it was a lot of work to uh, tone it all down and to edit it down, but it is exciting that it is finally here. Now, when I was in uh, high school, um, I didn't, unlike many youth today, I didn't know a lot of LGBTQ individuals. Uh, I didn't know a lot growing up. Uh, they weren't as prevalent in the media and on TV as they are today. And I never had to struggle with my orientation, I mean, at all. And uh, I, I knew I was born attracted to the opposite sex. I, it wasn't something I had to hide, or it wasn't something that I was worried that my parents would find out that I was heterosexual and that they would shun me or that my faith community would ostracize me. And my guess is if you're heterosexual as well, you probably never thought much about your orientation that it's just something that's a part of you. You never had to struggle with it, or perhaps you always felt you were born that way. And so when I was in high school, the friends that I had that were uh, more effeminate, well, we made fun of them, uh, especially in our theater department. I mean, uh, I don't even think some of the friends that I had in high school were necessarily gay, uh, but it was probably more that they hadn't progressed through puberty as quickly as some of the other guys. And so from early on, I was a part of this system that demonized and dehumanized a group of people. Um, and eventually, as I 
grew up and I went on to major in musical theater performance and I started working professionally as an actor all over the U.S. Um, I, I was kind of immersed into this LGBTQ world. Um, and the, the acting world is, man, it's so inclusive and so welcoming and so accepting. And there happens to be a lot of uh, specifically gay men within the acting world, uh, but there are a, a handful of gay individuals. And I think um, because it's such a welcoming world, there, there's, there's a, a, a space for everyone there. Um, and so I developed a lot of close relationships with LGBT people. Uh, there were times where I was the only heterosexual male, sometimes uh, the only Christian, but the only heterosexual male in a, theat in a theatrical production. Um, I remember one time, I was in South Pacific, uh, and I still have a picture of this scene. It's it's framed, and, and I have it here. Uh, but one of my favorites is we were all these guys, probably 16 of us maybe, um, and we are all playing sailors uh, in the South Pacific, and we sing this number called Nothing Like a Dame. And, the, you know, the lyrics are about how much we miss women. Being in the South Pacific, we miss women, and there's nothing like a dame. And this picture is uh, a still shot of, of, of the middle of the song. And there's, you know, 16 of us up there, half of which were shirtless, were um, some of them, not me, are ripped and have huge muscles, and others of us are average like me. Uh, but this is really cool-looking picture. Uh, but the majority of those men in that picture uh, wouldn't honestly sing that song. Um, and for me, it's just a, a great reminder of uh, my life as an actor and uh, just the beauty that it creates. Um, but the more I entered this world where I became friends and did life with, um, well, my friends who happened to be gay, the more I realized that there was a disproportionately high number of my LGBTQ friends that had either horrific experiences with the church community or incredibly negative experiences with individual Christians. I had friends who were kicked out of youth groups and churches when they came out. Uh, one friend who attended a Christian university was literally spit upon by his roommate when he came out. Uh, I knew of Christian parents that shunned their kids or wouldn't talk to them or had such rage when they found out that their child was gay that they said incredibly hurtful things. Um, and there are countless other stories. Um, not all are bad, of course. Um, there are a handful that I know that had incredible parents and coming out stories, but many, many people had horrific experiences with the church and Christians. And so I had these two loves. Uh, I loved my friends and I loved my faith or my church. I loved my friends, many of whom were gay. And, and I, among these groups of friends, I, I found love and acceptance and uh, in some in, a type of family. And yet the church uh, is where I found love and acceptance and a type of family. Uh, and yet I was so confused why my friends whom I love, they, they wouldn't go to the church that I loved. And I was confused that the church that I love didn't seem to want to love my friends whom I love so dearly. And so there was this tension that I lived in for so long that I wanted to figure out, well, why so many of my friends hated church and Christians and ultimately God. And I wanted to wrap my head around why so many of my church-going friends and church community had such disdain or phobia or was just plain uncomfortable uh, around my gay friends. And so once I entered seminary, uh, I started reading and researching a lot on this subject uh, and um, I did a lot of work, obviously my thesis, but I realized 
uh, as I was realizing all these negative impacts that my friends had in these faith, faith communities, I realized they were experiencing a model of church, uh, which I call behave, believe, and belong. And this is how this church functions that a lot of my friends experience. And, and maybe you've experienced a church like this as well. Uh, but, but this model of church says, well, you have to behave the right way. And once you behave the right way and you're living the right way, uh, you have to believe all the right things. And if you believe all the right things and you're behaving the right way, well, then you can belong to our church community. Then you are welcomed in. And so for my gay friends, this meant they had to behave the right way. They, they couldn't uh, do certain things and they had to act a certain way. And for a lot of them, that meant uh, shunning their, their orientation or becoming heterosexual or uh, choosing to be celibate or renouncing uh, their sexuality. And they had to believe all the right things. And this was often that uh, you had to believe that homosexuality was wrong and not right and sinful. Uh, and all these other things you had to believe were true and all these other things you had to believe were right. And then once you had that in place, well, then you could belong to this church community. But what I've realized with this, uh, and I've been a part of churches like this myself, is that this isn't uh, how churches should function. And it doesn't function well when they when they do function this way. It isn't how the church should be. This is simply behavior modification. And it's completely antithetical to what we see in the scripture and in the gospels. Instead of behave, believe, belong, uh, I think we should uh, have another model. Uh, I call this the gospel model. And this uh, is belong, believe, and become. I've changed the words a little bit. Um, but belong, believe, become. That, that church should be a place where anyone can belong, uh, that anyone has the opportunity to believe, and that anyone uh, can become a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Now, you see this in the life uh, uh, throughout the scriptures, uh, and you see this through the life of Thomas. Now, Thomas is one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. Now, he only appears six times in the New Testament, uh, three of which are in lists of the disciples. Those, those are three times where it just simply says, here are the disciples, Thomas is one of them. Uh, one of the times is where he uh, kind of asked Jesus, where is he going? Another time, um, he boldly says, well, we have to follow Jesus no matter what. And then finally, uh, the sixth time is the famous Doubting Thomas scene. Uh, now, many people know about this story. But for three years, uh, Thomas belonged to this community, this, this intimate group of, of 12 guys. Um, and he, was, he spent all his time with Jesus and these other disciples. Now, I don't know if he always believed in this time. Uh, he might have. But he probably had doubts. I'm sure all the disciples had doubts of what the heck Jesus is doing. Uh, but here he is following, along, uh, following Jesus around, belonging to this community. And then uh, Jesus dies, is executed, uh, put in a tomb, and eventually he's resurrected from the dead. And all the other disciples are celebrating. I mean, they're they are excited. They're flipping out. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And Thomas is like, eh, I don't know about that. I mean, that's cool and all, but... I got to see it with my own, my own eyes. I got I to gotta see that. I don't believe it. And then this story uh, goes on and it says, uh, a week later, a whole week goes by. So Thomas, a whole week of not believing, a whole week of being like, eh, you know what, other disciples, I know you're super excited and doing things differently now, but I, I don't believe it. So a whole week of not believing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears before Thomas and his disciples. The first thing Jesus says is, peace be with you. And then he speaks directly to Thomas and he says, Thomas, touch my, touch my wounds. Put your hands here. Put your fingers here. And then he says, stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas 
says, my Lord and my God. So what I love about this story uh, is Thomas belonged. He belonged to this group of guys. He, he was known. Uh, he was accepted. He was a part of this group. And he doubted a lot. He didn't believe for a long time. And eventually he did believe. Once he encountered Jesus, once he encountered the risen Jesus, he believed. And the first thing he did was he worshiped. He said, my Lord and my God. And then he became this bold man who brought the gospel to India, who eventually was martyred for his faith. So he belonged, he believed, and then he became. Now, I believe this is how the Christian community should function. But sadly, I think the Christian community right now, not all, but many churches, many Christian uh, communities are on a slippery slope or a scary precipice. Now, I don't mean we're on a slope like uh, or a precipice where we're like losing our faith or watering down the gospel or we're throwing out our Bibles and being heretics or anything like that. I believe we are on a precipice and perhaps we've already fallen off the edge a bit because of our continued model of behavior modification, because we continue to force people to behave and believe before they can belong, Uh, because of our mistreatment of the LGBT community, because of our dehumanization, because of our name calling and our abstract theology being used as a weapon, and because of our fear for the other or the unknown or the uncomfortable, and because of our Uh, continued demonization of an entire group of people. Because of this, we have given the LGBT community a reason to give up on Christians, which means they eventually will give up upon the church, which means then, sadly, that they will ultimately give up on God, the God who many of us profess to be the God of love. And not only that, but more than that, uh, friends, and family members and loved ones of LGBT community uh, of people, they're also giving up on Christians, which means they'll eventually give up on the church. And they may give up on God because of the way Christians have treated their loved ones. And because the Christian community has become so divisive on this subject, I mean, to the point where we become like bratty little children who yell and fight and and argue, and because we are full of arguments and full of debates and we lack all unity, that I think we are giving people who are watching us, much of the world, uh, another reason not to believe in the good news. Now, in my time studying this, talking about this, writing this book, I've heard a lot of people talk about how this is such a big issue within church, in the church world. This is a, a big hot button issue. It's become the hot button issue of the day. It, it's become the issue that we have to figure out. But here's the thing. The topic of homosexuality uh, isn't an issue at all. And it's not a problem we must solve. It's not a debate about six passages of scripture. It's not um, some abstract ideas that we can debate over a cup of coffee. It's not even an argument we have. This isn't an issue at all. Instead, this is about people. People created by God. People loved by God. People who want to belong. And sometimes people who even want to belong to our church communities. And so when we debate positions or abstract theological interpretations, we leave people that we are called to love in the dust behind us. When we talk about people or at people, instead of talking with people, we actually do them harm. And if we forget that this is about people, we forget what matters most to God. 
People matter to God, and so they must matter to us. When I was in Chicago, a pastor and I started a small group uh, at our church, and we had noticed that there was a, a growing population of LGBTQ individuals within our church, and we knew that they didn't always feel safe in a lot of the small groups or uh the church life. And so we decided to start a small group specifically for LGBTQ individuals. And uh, so we, we gathered a group of people, we opened our homes, and um, we invited these people in. And now th this group was, I mean, we had a, a couple heterosexuals, a part of this group. Uh, we had uh, a couple of gay individuals who uh, were celibate, that because of what they believed theologically, that they weren't dating or they weren't um, living uh, with another individual, they, they uh, refused to date. Uh, there were others, a part of the group, that were so quiet about their orientation and about their sexuality that they uh, avoided us at church or, or didn't want anyone to know they were a part of the group. They, they were still closeted. There were others uh, in the group that uh, were looking to date. Uh, there was a couple in the group that that uh, were partners that had been together for a while, and there was so there's this whole spectrum of people that were part of this small group, uh, and it was great for the couple years that we had it. And on the first night, we sat in a circle and we had everyone kind of go around and and just simply share why they wanted to be a part of a group like this. And so for some people, we went around the circle and some said, well, I want to learn more about scripture and about the Bible, and I feel this is a, a place where I can do that. A couple others uh, said, I want to explore what scripture says on sexuality, and I want to be with other like-minded people. Uh, some, one guy in particular said, I'm looking to have more friends. I just need more friends, and I'd love to go on a date, so I'm looking for someone to date as well. You had people that, um, all across the spectrum, uh, and the final gentleman who went uh, he was sitting kind of off in the corner. He had never been a part of our church before. This was uh, the first time that that I had ever met him, uh, that he had, had ever come to the group. Uh, he heard about this group from another friend in our church. Uh, and he said this. He said, I was, I've been looking for a place where I can just be me and breathe. And tonight I feel as if I can finally breathe. So the reason why I wrote this book the reason why I do what I do, uh, the reason why I pastor the way I pastor is because I want to create spaces where people can finally breathe, where they can belong. So the reason I wrote this book, the reason I even do this podcast is because we have to do better among the Christian community. We have to remain united. We have to seek forgiveness from this community. We have to stop talking at people. We have to stop talking in abstract terms. We have to rid ourselves of any fear or phobias, and we have to embrace love. It is the only way. So here's to embracing love, a little baby of a book that I am so glad is published, grown up, and out of the house. Here's to creating spaces where anyone can belong, believe, and become. Here's to allowing people to find a place where they can finally just be themselves and breathe. And here's to the why behind the what. Cheers. Cheers.